God, we want so much to know your power. God, we want to know your authority, your supremacy in our life. God, we want to know you. We want to understand your authority. And God, I pray today that we would have a window into your, uh, into your incredible power, the power that sustains us in our weakest times. And God, I pray today that you would give us a sense into who you truly are. And as we understand the Gospels, God, the Gospel stories, how that power can now be made available to us. And we pray that in the powerful and strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I knew as I watched that this week, I, it moved me. I know it was longer, but I really wanted you to get a sense of like who God is. I think sometimes when we come into a place like this, we come into worship together and we sort of take, we sort of don't understand fully or grasp who God is, the power of Christ, and, and, and who He is as King and Lord of our lives. And so I want us to continue to expand our thinking about who God is that God, it truly is the Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings. His power no one can describe or fathom. And so I really want us to expand our thinking when it comes to who God is as creator and sustainer of our lives. And so today I want to ask you, have you ever sensed that this all-powerful God has ever asked you to do something in your life, but you questioned whether or not you could actually do it? You had a sense about where God wanted you to go, a clear message about what he wanted you to do, but you weren't sure. You weren't sure exactly where to go with it, and, and you weren't sure if you were able to. Maybe it was that you were to talk to this person or move to this city or get this new job or build a relationship with a neighbor or lead someone to Christ or change this habit in your life or serve in the church in some area, take a risk at work or have a difficult conversation with your spouse, forgive an old friend. God's asking you to do something. But instead of responding with faith, somewhere inside, you questioned, you worried, you procrastinated, you put it off, you ignored the message, you doubted if you had the courage or the strength or the wisdom or the personality that would, that would allow you to do what God was prompting you to do. And here's a very positive message to the beginning of this sermon. You aren't. You aren't powerful enough. You aren't strong enough. You aren't smart enough or wise enough. If you are capable enough on your own, then you don't need God. So the thing is, God's asking you to do something in your life, maybe right now. And the question is, is it big enough that it would require God's power, God's strength in your life, not just you on your own? You see, it's not about what, what you can or can't do. It's about what God can do through you. And the minute that you think you can do it on your own, the minute you think you've got this, is the very moment that you're disqualified. It's the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think not of what you were, or think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom of God. Jesus Christ, our wisdom, our strength, our power to be able to do things that God has called and asked us to do. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a miracle story in the Gospels, Luke chapter 9. We're in this series on the undeniable power of Christ. And in this story, it's a story that's included in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. 
And how many of you know that if it's included in all four Gospels, it's probably a pretty important miracle to, to give attention to. Now, this miracle is a place where Jesus is, is going to take what was offered and he's going to now multiply it to the masses. But I want first to put it in context. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, Jesus is calling his 12 disciples together and he says, I'm going to give you power and authority to do some things in this world. I want to give you the ability to heal diseases. I want to give you the ability to proclaim the gospel message. And so he sends them on a sort of training uh, out to see how they would do. I mean, after all, in a few months, he would be ascended back to heaven and they would be leading this great movement of God. So he was beginning to to see, allow them to see that they could actually trust in the power of Jesus. And it says in verse 1, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. He gave them power and authority. Okay? It wasn't by their might, by their strength, by their power. It was by his. And that's a theme we see throughout the New Testament. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ. Who does what? Okay, we gotta, we got to read our Bibles. It strengthens me, okay? And we are told the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is also available to us. And Jesus said, as you go out on mission, reaching the world for Christ, I'm going to give you authority, and I'm going to be with you. There are just times when we sense and feel the power of God in our lives. One of the times I sense that is when I'm seeking to share my faith with somebody else or build a relationship with somebody in such a way that maybe eventually I'll be able to share my faith with them. And I love the fact that there are times where when I'm available, God just makes those moments happen and now I'm able to share with somebody. It wasn't long ago. I was in a conversation with a guy at the gym who had questions about God. And he compared God in terms of like science. And he said, my sticking point is science. I said, well, you need to really watch this video um, on YouTube called The Case for Creator. Check it out and let me know. He came back that afternoon and told me, you won't believe it. I watched that video. It was awesome. Now, I would love to say this guy like received Christ and all this stuff. But he didn't. Not, not yet. Okay. Now, I had a student not long ago that I told you about maybe two or three weeks ago. And so I'm teaching this class called Philosophy and Christian Thought. Now, how many of you know I'm not a philosopher, right? In fact, when I first started teaching the class, I went to the half-price books, and I bought a book called How to Make the Incredible Complexities of Philosophy Simple. I was like, bam, that is my kind of book right there, all right? And uh, so we went through metaphysics and epistemology and axiology and a lot of other words that prior to that class I really didn't even know existed. But how many of you know I focused less on that and more on Christian thought, right? How does the Bible answer these questions? And so when we first go around the room, I say, tell me your story and what's your family background and what, tell me about your faith. What's your faith background? And one of the students said, um, I don't, I'm, an, I'm, an athe- I'm an agnostic, she said. And so I really began to focus on him as I'm going around the room and thinking about how can we reach this individual who's an agnostic. Now, the difference between an atheist and an agnostic is an atheist doesn't believe God exists. An agnostic might believe that God exists or he might not exist, but if he does exist, he's not knowable. In other words, he's some otherworldly and I don't have the opportunity to know him. And so this has now become his, his belief system. And so we're teaching through the class, and when it comes to metaphysics, this idea that where did we come from? Of course, I'm going to talk about God, the existence of God, and God outside of the Bible even. Let's focus on that. I've learned that I have to start with just the existence of God outside of the Bible first with people who don't believe. 
And then secondly, we then go to the Bible and we talk about, well, why does the Bible, why is it true? And how many people wrote that? And how long did it take him? And how is it consistent in its unity over all these 1,500 years? We go through all this rationale. And then we begin to talk about um, where Jesus came from. Was Jesus a real person? And was he the Messiah? And so we're leading through this class, and I'm beginning to build a relationship with him. And he comes in after the class, or he'll stay, or, or at break time, when other people walk out of the room, he'll come and begin to ask questions about these kind of things, matters of faith. And it, one week he came and told me about a family member that was in crisis. And so we begin to talk. Each week we begin to talk about different things. Week four. I'm in the middle of talking about Jesus as Messiah, the resurrected Lord. He texts his wife. He tells me this later. He texts his wife in the middle of that teaching, and he asks her this question. What if God is real? And then we have that class, and then we have the next class, and we begin to talk. I invite him to church. He hasn't been to church in a long, long time. I thought I'd write, read just a portion of his final paper for the class. He said, perhaps the most interesting is that this class gave me an opportunity to find a path to belief in God, mainly through logical steps. That was especially important for me because I'm a skeptic at heart. My thought processes are rooted in logic. And so he begins then to outline, how did all this get here? And he begins to talk about creationism. And he talks about that idea of where did we come from? And he begins to lay that out. And he begins to debunk the, the, uh, the idea of evolution. And he begins to lay out a case for creation, he says, God is one answer, and quite frankly, the only answer I can come up with that makes sense to me logically. And he begins to walk through that. His second question, which religion is right? It's another huge question, but after attending this class, Christianity seems like the most plausible of the plethora of religions in our world today. I'd like to point out, he said, that I was, the fact that I was extremely skeptical throughout the whole class I didn't completely buy into all the information that was presented. However, the facts that I believe to be true are enough. Jesus is a real person. And then he begins to to lay out the case for Christ, that he existed, documentation outside the Bible, about persecuted Christians, talking about the cross of Jesus, talking about the Bible. There is no other religious book like the Bible. The Bible itself consists of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years on three continents in three languages by 40 different authors. Those numbers alone are incredible. And then he begins to continue to write it out. Perhaps equally incredible is that the 31,173 verses, there are no contradictions. And he begins to lay out a case for the Bible. And finally, he writes in step three, a leap of faith. This is where I draw my own logical conclusions based on the truths. If you are willing to accept that Jesus was a real person, the next big question is whether or not he is the Messiah, as the Bible claims. And then he begins to lay out the case for the resurrection of Christ. And he, and he begins to say, uh, give that rationale. And at this, he concludes, at this point, I feel swayed by all of the information above to make the leap of faith that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for the forgiveness of our sins. Now that, that's awesome. Now really, that's the power of God. He, t- he emailed me last week and he said, hey, could you recommend a church to me that's in my area of town? I mean, how cool is that, right? And this story will be ongoing, but here's what I'm saying. Only God can transform a human heart. Only God can take somebody from skepticism or agnosticism to believe in God. Only God can transform people. 
And, and so these disciples were out sharing the mission of God through the power of God. And it is on that backdrop when they returned and they got back to hanging out with Jesus now, immediately on the heels of that, suddenly they were going to go for some R&R, right? Oh, which does remind me. Jesus had a really good pattern between work and rest, didn't he? As soon as he came back, these 12 disciples came back from all these exploits, all these great things for the kingdom. They were on their way for some R&R. Jesus said, we need to get away for a while, which really reminds us that you can't give from a place of emptiness. And so he wanted them to rest. But then on the other side, this crowd begins to gather. And now the needs are still there. The ministry still has to happen. And now Jesus is teaching. And then over 5,000, in fact, the Bible says 5,000, but they just usually counted the men. So there could have been as many as 20,000 people. And the disciples begin to realize all these people need to eat something. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Now, what would you do if you were a disciple and you saw maybe as many as 20,000 people around? Half of the of Great American Ballpark, right? Great American Ballpark seats about 42,000. Could you imagine looking around going, hey, uh, popcorn, I mean, peanuts. I mean, what are you going to do? Where is it going to come from? And so the disciples say what all of us would say, and that is, send them back. Send them home. There's no way. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Why did he say that? The task they seemed inadequate to do, but they had just done all these great exploits for the Lord through his power. Somehow in the middle of that, they forgot that Jesus actually had the power to do what Jesus says he can do. And so here's what I want to do just really quickly. I want to give you three big ideas, three things that when you are being asked to do something from the Lord, three responses that we have to have in order to kind of proclaim or receive or do that miracle that God is asking us to do. Number one, you've got to admit you can't do it on your own. You have to admit it. These guys looked around and said, we can't do it. We're, in, it, we're incapable to do it. Now, what they didn't realize is that they couldn't, but God could. Mark 6.37, which is another version of the story, says they said to him, this would take eight months of wages, and are we going to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? These guys are asking rhetorical questions, but they're really concerned, they're worried. And have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something that you felt like you couldn't do? They came up with three excuses. Same three we come up with. The first one was they procrastinated. In the text, it says it was late in the day. This problem had existed all day, but it wasn't until late in the day they start going, I think we have a problem that has to be solved. So many people, when it comes to problems, they wait to the last possible second, and then they'll call on God, rather than trying in the middle of it to call on God early. So what problem are you pretending isn't exist, doesn't exist? In your finances, in your marriage, what are you procrastinating on? Second thing they did, they, pro- they passed the buck. They, they said, you know what, it's their fault. Send the people home, out of sight, out of mind. Please move these people back to their house. Uh, move it out, move it out. We've got over thousands of people here, so let's make sure everybody goes home, go home and eat. But that, they passed the buck. The third thing is they worried. They looked at this and said, it takes eight months of wages. We don't have it. We're poor. How are we going to do this? And they get super practical with it. And Jesus just looks at them and says, don't worry. Don't procrastinate. Don't pass the buck. You give them something to eat. And what's the problem with this picture? The problem is they are standing in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God. And somehow in the middle of it, they forgot who he was. Does God ever ask you to do something impossible? Why does he ask you to do something that's beyond your means? Because that's where your faith is stretched. 
The reality is he gave you a calling. And that calling is to live a life as a disciple and to go make disciples. And many people get stuck on that. They say, being a disciple, I can go to church. I can grow. I can be in community group. I can be learning on my own. But to ask me, first of all, is that all what a disciple is? No. But then to ask me additionally to go make disciples, that's where we go off and we say, that's impossible. I don't know how. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, I have become a servant, a servant of the king by the commission of God, gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. To this end I labor, struggle with all his energy, which is so powerful work in me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem, get the Holy Spirit, then you're going to change the world. It begins, friends, with you saying, I don't have it all together. I can't do this on my own. That's where that miracle begins to happen in your life. Secondly, you've got to give what God what little you have. Uh, Mark's version of this in verse 38, chapter 6 says, How many loaves do you have, Jesus said? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five small loaves of bread and two fish. John 6, 6, Jesus asked them this. It says, Only to test them, for he had already in mind what he was going to do. God asked them to do something, but he already knew what the answer was going to be because he's God. God, listen, when, when God asks you to do something, he already has a plan. If he asks you to reach your neighbor, he already knows how it's going to go down. If he asks you to take, have a hard conversation with a spouse, he already knows how it's going to happen. God already knows the answer before I even know the problem. It's not late in the day for him, so why are you worrying? John's account, it says that Andrew, one of the disciples, went out and found a boy who had a sack lunch. Can you imagine how that boy must have felt? I mean, Jesus is like, hey, there's like thousands of people here, and we need some food. Everybody, we need some food. Who's got some food? And one little boy in the back's like, um. I mean, he's got a decision to make. Am I going to give up my lunch of five pieces of bread and two little sardines? Or am I like, because there's no way this is going to feed everybody, so what am I going to do? But interestingly, he gave willingly, didn't he? He just gave it. There's no, there's no account in the text of him holding back or begrudging it. He gave cheerfully. There's no, nothing in the text about how he grumbled on the way. And then he also gave immediately. Andrew asked, the boy gives. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Whatever measure you use, it's going to be given to you. And so this boy, he gave up what he had, what little it was. And he thought, I don't know how this is going to work, but this is going to be a story to tell. And so he gives up his lunch. So what do you have? What's in your hand? Maybe you've looked at your resources or your abilities and you've thought, I don't have that much to offer. Guess what? God doesn't need much. He majors in making a lot out of a little. Doing something big is, is, is the absence of ability and the presence of faith. It doesn't require ability. It does require faith. What are you doing right now that demands God's intervention to be successful? Let me ask it another way. What are you doing right now, today, for the sake of the kingdom that does not require God's help? When you look at it, say, well, what am I doing right now that doesn't require God's help? Because those are things you're doing on your own power. So I'm just asking you guys, when you think about what to do, and you think about your prayer life, begin to raise the level of your prayer life beyond, God, thank you for my Rice Krispies. Thank you for the missionaries. Bless my kids. I pray nobody will get hurt on the soccer field today. Amen. We have to raise our mindset above the daily and begin to think about kingdom. 
God, what do you want me to do with the one and only life that you've given me? What's next in my relationship with so-and-so? How do I lead this person to Christ? How do I get more involved in the church? How do I help people or step out of my comfort zone in some way? That's when God begins to do some miraculous thing in your life. And the last thing is, expect God to multiply it. Luke 9 says, in verse 14, But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And then the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Notice it does not say that he goes, Hey, everybody, I've got a, I, this little boy gave five loaves and two fish. Who else has got some? Anybody else got some? Everybody bring your lunch. Everybody bring your lunch, and we'll all have more. It doesn't say that. It says, He took the five loaves and the two little sardine fish and said, I'm going to feed and multiply. And he just kept breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking, so much so that at the end there were 12 basketfuls left over. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of wonder, who got the leftovers, you know? Like, who got those? And I'd like to think it was that boy. I would love to think that it was like that little boy who brought his lunch before Jesus, that like now he has 12, and so there's 12 disciples, there were 12 tribes of Israel. This might be, you know, sort of symbolic of that as well, but I I think when Jesus does something, he does it big, and I would love to say that Jesus is like, all right, I got 12 disciples, I got 12 baskets. All right, each one of you disciples take a basket, we're going to this little boy's house, and suddenly like he comes in, he's like, mom, you won't believe what happened today. What, babe? How was that lunch I gave you? You will not believe it. And suddenly one disciple after another comes in and puts the stuff on the counter. And they're like, what is happening? And she's where did you get all this food? Immediately you guys' parents would be like, what? He stole this from somebody. Where did you take this food from? Was this like bonus day at the cafeteria? What happened? And he's like, you will not believe it. Jesus, you've heard of him. He just like multiplied my fish and it fed everybody. And this is the leftovers. We're set for like a month. And, you know, she'd be like, Go to your room, you know, you little liar. And they would not believe it, right? He brings all this, and it tells me something about the heart of God, that Jesus Christ did more than what was asked, more than what was required. And it reminds me of a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, which says that, that, that God will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us and within the church. So, friends, I'm just asking you today to raise the level of your prayers. Raise the level of your awareness. Begin to do things in your life that are outside of your comfort zone. Begin to build relationships with people that maybe you wouldn't normally build relationships with. Set your eyes on something greater than just the daily, okay? Begin to think about, God, what can you do in this generation that we might do something great among among us? Someone asked Karl Barth, the brilliant theologian, what was the greatest, deepest thought he ever had? And he said, the deepest thought I ever had was this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish fools the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. We preach Christ and Him crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That the cross is the greatest display of God's wisdom and His sovereignty and His providence 
and his power. And then the next, that, that next great display of power came three days later when Jesus conquered man's greatest enemy, death. The earth shook, the stone was rolled back, a bright light knocked the soldiers down, and Jesus came to live triumphantly, to reign forevermore. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. In other words, the same power that brought Jesus back from the tomb is available to you and to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. You either believe that and adopt that into your life, or you don't. And if you don't, you'll continue to live that lifeless kind of simple, kind of, I don't know if God can do it, worrying, kind of doubting life. But if you want to live a life of exploits, of doing something great for the kingdom, of setting your sights above, you'll begin to trust in His power, His grace, His supremacy, His providence. It's greater than the daily life that so many people want to live in Christ. That's why. Every time we come in here, we should come in here with a significant enthusiasm And we should be maybe through the whole week working in God's power. Maybe we should come in here as a little R&R because we've been living the life, serving Christ, telling other people about Jesus, taking our resources, what little we have, trusting God with it, coming in here and going, man, God, thank you so much. Because when God does great exploits during the week, you can't help but to worship on Sunday. My fear is we are not seeing God do enough in your life during the week which leads to a lifeless time of worship because we are not seeing sometimes the power of Christ. We're not adopting it into our life in such a way that our faith is not growing and therefore our worship becomes almost simple, non-existent or sometimes tired. I'm just asking you, would you begin to set your sights on something greater? Do something great for God through His power. Trust Him. Step out of your comfort zone and you'll begin to see God do greater things. And when you come to worship, Man, you won't help but to be able to say, God, thank you so much. When a student goes from agnosticism to faith in Christ, I can't help but to come in here and go, man, not by my might, not by my strength, but by the power of the living God. That's where worship happens. God, thank you for loving us. And God, today we know that the message in our world is one of confusion and hardship. There are so many voices out there right now today, so much anger, so much lies, so much distortion of the truth across the board. And God, I just can't help but to think we are getting closer and closer and closer to the time where Jesus Christ is going to split the sky. And God, as we approach that time, we know the world's going to get more chaotic. We understand that from the Scripture. That that, that children are going to be more rebellious, the Bible says, and people are going to be more lovers of money and lovers of self and and more self-indulgent. And God, we are seeing this throughout our culture. These prophecies of Scripture come true in our time. And so, God, I pray today that as we see those things begin to happen, we will become more and more aware of our need to be demonstrating and sharing the message of Christ with people. And God, that that power would be made real and evident. And I pray that we would be so hope-filled, so loving, so grace-filled, God, that people won't be able to just look at it and go, man, there's, there, is, there is something different about them. It must be Christ in them. God, I pray that it's a platform of hope. Pray we don't get caught up in all the confusion and all the lies and all the garbage that's out there. But God, we'd stay focused on the task at hand to win one more person to Jesus Christ, that we'd revolve the world around him one life at a time. God, thank you for being our king, our leader, our Lord, the Lion of Judah, the King of kings, the Lamb who was slain.
And now today, God, we worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.